0: Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Donnie, for leading us so well. I cannot tell you what a gift Donnie Hollis is to me. That would be, it would fill up all of the time today uh, to tell you that. Uh, so we'll reserve that for another time. Psalm 107 psalm 107 uh we are beginning a little short series on psalms It's is kind of a continuation of the psalms because uh, through the years we have just uh, selected various psalms uh, and um, we've covered a lot of them uh, but uh, this week and then next week and the following week we're going to look at uh, three particular psalms uh, hopefully as a means of encouraging us in the character of God during these these times. Uh, and then the plan on uh, May 10th is for us to start 1 uh, Peter. Uh, so we look forward to that. Psalm 107, let me just read the first nine verses, uh, though I wanna have a look at uh, the entirety of the Psalm. And once again, very, very honored to uh, have you tune in uh, wherever you're at on one of these, uh, looks like 516 devices. Um, uh, just know that, um, um, this psalm um, is a great means of encouragement. Uh, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're just tuning in, I want you to see uh, the character of God. I want you to see the good news that's in this psalm. So let me read it for us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills With good things. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we say with the psalmist today if your word had not been my delight, Mm -hmm. I would have perished Mm -hmm. in my affliction. We thank you for your word in the midst of our affliction. May it be used to heal us Mm -hmm. and restore us and rejuvenate us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, church today, all you need to identify with this passage is at least one problem. Okay, so does everyone at least have one problem in your life? Maybe you could just turn to someone right now and say, what's your problem? Now, I'd be curious to know if they came back with, you are, right? (laughs) We all have some problems, don't we? Uh, The word problem is not the the word I want you to see in 107, but it's that idea. It's the word trouble. This word trouble appears in verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, and verse 28. ESV translates verse 2 as trouble as well, but that's a different word. It's uh, the foe, the enemy. But you have these, these uh, four cycles of crying out to the Lord in a trouble and the Lord delivering his people as they cry out to him. And so the psalm inspires us to cry out to the Lord no matter what kind of trouble we're in and no matter why we're in trouble. And there you see great mercy, you see great grace. Because some of the trouble that we read in this psalm is caused by sin, by our own foolish choices. Um, But the psalm, nevertheless, encourages us, inspires us to cry out to the Lord no matter what kind of trouble we're in. And the reason we can do that is because of the steadfast love of the Lord. You see that reoccurring uh, phrase Throughout this psalm, this is the basis for which we can cry out to the Lord in our trouble, no matter why we're in trouble and, and no matter what kind of trouble that we're in. It's that rich Hebrew word hesed. Why don't you say that word with me? Hesed. That's good. My studio audience is not very responsive right now. Uh, but hesed is hard to translate in English. It's translated as steadfast love of the Lord or uh, faithful love or loyal love. Um, And because of God's hesed, because of his faithful love, we can call out to him in trouble. If you are in financial trouble, if you have relationship issues, if you have parenting challenges, as you think about the crisis of death and dying and sickness, stress, selling the house in the midst of a global pandemic, the trouble of relocating, trouble caused by your own sin and your own foolishness violence or danger. Students, your exams that you're having to pass. And most of all, the trouble of being under the judgment of God, of being unconverted. This psalm encourages us, no matter what kind of trouble that we are in today, to call out to the Lord. Let that be your first instinct in trouble. Why? Because of his steadfast love, he is able to deliver us. So what we have in this psalm are four pictures. Now, I know we have a lot of people in our church who like to draw pictures. Okay, So here are the four pictures that you can draw in today's sermon. It's the picture of a desert wanderer who has no city to live in. It's the picture of a prisoner who needs to be liberated. It's the picture of a sick person who needs to be healed. And it's the picture of a ship that is storm-tossed. In each case, verse six, you look at it there, they cried, he delivered. Verse 13, they cried, he delivered. Verse 19, they cried, he delivered. Verse 28, they cried, he delivered. This is not the Amazon delivery man. This is not Uber Eats. This is the God who delivers. You call, he delivers. Now, obviously God doesn't answer every prayer we ever pray um, for his own Reasons and sometimes because our prayers are amiss and we have bad motives and so on. There are many reasons for that, but that's for another sermon. This psalm is to encourage you to cry out to the Lord for his deliverance. Now, a couple weeks ago, actually it wasn't a couple weeks ago, my weeks are running together. Um, I think it's Sunday today. Uh, but when we were looking at Psalm 22 on Good Friday, I said that one of the ways the Messiah seems to have strengthened himself and encouraged his soul as he was uh, being crucified is he meditated upon the character of the father and the father's past work in history. Uh, as you remember that in Psalm 22, in you are fathers trusted. That's a good thing for us to be doing. And that's why we want to have a few weeks of uh, time in the Psalms is to reflect back on how God has worked in history and to reflect on the character of God in the midst of this uh, global crisis that we're in. We need a rock to stand on. And God's people throughout history have considered the character of God, the past faithfulness of God in their present crisis in order to encourage them to press on to endure. In fact, I was reading yesterday a sermon by Francis J. Grimke, a great pastor in Washington DC, who preached a sermon after their church had been unable to meet for some time because of the Spanish flu. And this was in 1918 that Grimke said this upon their first Sunday back, when the plague was raging What a comfort it was to feel that we were in the hands of a loving Father. Whether we were smitten with the epidemic or not, we knew it would be well with us, that there was no reason to be alarmed. Now, that was said a 100 years ago, and it can be said again today. We have no reason to be alarmed because we are in the hands of our loving Father. You see, Grimke is thinking about The character of God and this psalm is causing us to think about the character of God. We say with the psalmist in 119, your promise is well tried, therefore your servant loves it. Mm. His promise has been tried over and over and over again, and he's faithful, Mm. and and your servants, Lord, we, we love it. And so we're just dwelling here in the promises. We're dwelling in the character of God and the faithfulness of God. Uh, to help help us keep going. Now the way the psalm is arranged, I've alluded to this already a little bit, but notice how at book five it says above Psalm 107. This is the first psalm in this classic division of the psalms. However, this uh, uh, this psalm actually is tied to Psalm 105 and 106. Uh, all three psalms are historical reflections on God's work for His people. In fact, if you look in verse one. Uh, we see here the opening line begins with the same call to praise in Psalm 106 verse 1. "Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. But there are some differences in this trilogy of Psalms. 106 appears to include a prayer for deliverance uh, as God's people are in exile 586 uh, Babylonian exile and so you notice how Psalm 106 ends in verse 47 With this prayer, save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory and glory in your praise. That's how Psalm 106 ends. Save us and gather us from the nations. And you see in 107, it's now a psalm of having returned from exile. God has gathered it. Verse 3, he's gathered them in from the lands. And so they've cried out to the Lord in 106. And he has brought them back from exile. In 107, he's saying, now, you guys should give some thanks to God for his steadfast love. He has brought us back. Now, the, as I mentioned in 107, there are four, after a, an introduction in verses 1 to 3, there are four cycles of deliverance they called he delivered. Uh, four predicaments that we see God intervening and coming to the rescue of his people. And then in verses 33 to verse 42, it includes praise to God for his sovereign work in history. It's it's back again to uh, the character of God and the way uh, God has worked. Uh, And finally, the psalm ends in verse 43 by saying, um, you need to think about these things in order to gain wisdom. Uh, Wise people consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And so let's have a look at this uh, psalm together I pray that it would encourage you to cry out to the Lord today in your trouble, that you would give him thanks today for his rescuing love and that this psalm would make you wise as you live in a world that's filled with trouble. So give thanks to the Lord, verses 1 to 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We're giving thanks to God simply for who he is. He is good and his love endures forever. God's goodness will be enjoyed by you today in manifold ways. His goodness, it's displayed in creation. It's displayed in redemption. And one of the signs of personal renewal in your life is a deeper appreciation of the goodness of God, a deeper appreciation of the grace of God. You see, people who understand the grace of God are not entitled people. They are not people who grow bitter quickly. They're not cynical people. They're grateful people. Grace and gratitude go together. He says in verse two to three, if you appreciate his love, if you appreciate his goodness, that uh, you can't be silent. It, this, this involves more than mental assent. Oh yeah, he's good. Notice it says in verse two, let the redeemed say so. Let the redeemed say so. He has redeemed us from trouble. That is from the foe. This here uh Uh, speaks of Babylonian captivity, the foe. Um, If you don't know much about the Old Testament, there are basically two exoduses. There is the exodus in the book of Exodus as God's people are in Egypt and God brings them out. And there's also this exodus, though it's not called necessarily an exodus, as they're in Babylonian captivity for 70 years and God brings them back out. And so the redeemed, as they come out of exile, like Exodus 15, they sing a song, the the redeemed say so. Those who have been delivered, give praise to God. Those who have been delivered, say something. And that's important for us because the, the New Testament speaks of salvation as another exodus. We have experienced a greater coming out of Egypt We've experienced a greater freedom from slavery. There's been a greater lamb that was slain for us so that we could be saved. And like the the people of Exodus and the people here in captivity, as we have come out of slavery, out of bondage, um, we are to, to say something. How could we not say something? A silent Christian is a very strange creature. How could you possibly be silent when you consider the steadfast love of the Lord that's brought you out? So let's not tire of speaking of God's redeeming love. Let's not tire of speaking of God our Savior. Even in evangelism, even in this crazy time, uh, may we be like the hymn writer, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I know sometimes uh, we wonder if what we're saying matters, what we're doing matters. Sometimes we don't see results as we commend Christ to people, as the redeemed say something. But I want to encourage you to go on speaking because it is the good and right thing for those who've been redeemed to do, to just keep on speaking. I've always been encouraged by the story of the conversion of a man named Luke Short. He was converted at the tender age of 103 years old. (laughs) He was sitting in a hedge in Virginia when he happened to remember a sermon he once heard by the famous preacher John Flavel. Flavel uh, writes about this in his book on God's providence. And as Short recalled this sermon, he asked God right there to forgive his sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and uh, he became a Christian. He only lived three more years, 106 years old. And when he died, the following words were inscribed on his tombstone. Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, 106. Now, what's also amazing about this story is that Mr. Short remembered that sermon by Flavel that was preached 85 years earlier and it was preached in England. And yet here God uses his word. We never know as we plant gospel seeds how God will send the rain and make it grow. So the redeemed sing, the redeemed share, the redeemed discuss, the redeemed pray, the redeemed declare the glories of the redeemer. We must say so. And verse 3 here shows us that how God has brought these uh, these exiles in from the various lands, from all over the Mediterranean world, a bit of a foretaste of how the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, will have a people from every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all of the redeemed on that day will most certainly say so. Amen. Now, let's look at this second section, good amen. Uh, give thanks to the Lord for his deliverance. Four pictures of God's rescue, as I mentioned earlier. It's interesting that experience one and four involve traveling. You've got uh, the wanderers in uh, the first picture, and then you've got sailors in the fourth picture. And uh, pictures two and three involve uh, the consequences for rebellion, consequences for sin. But in either case, uh, we're being taught here, being encouraged here to cry out to the Lord. So first, the Lord delivers wanderers. Some wandered in desert waste, finding uh, no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. The first time I went to Israel, I, I we went to that desert. And if you were dropped off in that desert, you would be tempted to complain too. Um, it is a terrible place uh, to to be walking around and be stuck for all those years. And here's this Picture again of, of, of exiles being in a, in a desert, uh, not having the kinds of things that they would like to have. Um, and so he says here, as they were uh, in this desert waste with no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, what did they do? Verse six, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his hesed, for his wondrous works to the children of men. So here we have a picture of of a wanderer, of being away. Um, And we know these exiles were away both physically from Jerusalem and spiritually. They were in exile because of their own sin. And the great problem today for us is wandering away spiritually. You know, this this happens when your heart wanders into other interests, when your heart wanders away. That's why we just sang, right, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for the courts above. We don't want our hearts to wander. Some people wander away theologically first. They give up important doctrines. Some people wander away from community, from relationships. I love how James, the book of James, ends where James tells the church to go rescue wanderers, um, to, to be mindful and to be... Uh, uh, Quick to uh, be about restoration and, and see wanderers brought back in. We're not trying to go back to a city, but, but we have a great longing for a new Jerusalem. We have a great longing for a new creation. We have a great longing for God's presence to be near and to be intimate. And so if you're watching this today, wherever you're at on whatever device you're on, if you've wandered away, hear this, that the Lord hasn't given up on you because of his steadfast love. And you can come back home like a prodigal son. You can, you can come home. And not only can you come home, but verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Coming home is, your, is the best thing you could do. Coming back to God is the best thing you can do. Because he satisfies longing souls. And part of the problem is there, some don't have a longing. Right? It's a sad place to be because we can fill our lives and our hearts with all sorts of things, but there is no ultimate satisfaction outside of the God who made you. He's satis- fully satisfied. This is not just, you know, a little, a little uh, cracker, but a, a full satisfaction. I was thinking about this when I was uh, this past week thinking about my childhood. My sister, I used to love to put pranks on my sister and uh, like I would put her shoes in the freezer and things like that uh, and she would be looking for them. There was those jellies that girls used to wear, so they would be all frozen. Uh, But sometimes she would ask me for ice cream um, and uh, I would go in and I would get just, I mean, a tiny little drop of ice cream and put it in the bowl with the spoon and bring it back to my sister uh, and just kind of walk away. Uh, it's not that sort of thing here. When you come to the Lord, it's not a little tiny fraction of, of ice cream here. It's like uh, two scoops of moose tracks. It's absolute enjoyment, like being in the presence of God, being, being in, the, in, the, in the grace of God, walking in the fear of God. He satisfies us with good things. Amen. 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 Two. Notice here, the second picture, the Lord delivers prisoners, verses 10 to 16. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death. Think about this. What a picture. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. And why is it that they were in affliction? Notice the four. For they had rebelled against the words of God. Now you should notice that sin always leads to um, Disaster. It leads to darkness. It, it enslaves. You think you're free when you sin, but it's actually the opposite. Sin is enslaving. They sat in darkness. They're prisoners in affliction because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So you have here a, 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 a direct relationship with sin and consequences. Uh, one of the best things that I heard this week was from... Uh, One of our uh, staff members who had a a kid who had a very kind of, I guess you would say, overly dramatic moment when he said, I would rather be eaten by a dragon than to live this life. (laughs) And when he was asked what makes it so bad, he said, the consequences. (laughs) Maybe you feel like that. I would rather be eaten by a dragon than to live this life well the consequences he didn't like the consequences and here we have a picture of consequences rebelling against God never leads to our good it never leads to our flourishing it never leads to our satisfaction uh, but nevertheless if you have rebelled against his word again there's great news in this psalm notice how the Lord broke them of their rebellion he So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Sometimes that's the best thing that can happen to a person is that you hit the bottom. And then verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. It made me think of uh, the testimony of Chuck Colson. Colson was a special counsel to President Nixon and he was known as the hatchet man. He once said that he would run over his grandmother if the president wanted him to. <laughs> I think he was joking, but it, it, had, it says something about Colson's uh, personality. Uh, the Nixon administration was collapsing because of the Watergate scandal in 1974, and Colson's life was also collapsing. He was part of the corruption that had been engulfing the, the administration. He pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice, and he spent seven months in prison in 1974. But before he went to prison, he went to see a friend of his named Tom Phillips. Phillips had become a Christian, but Colson had not told Phillips of what was going on in his life, and the news had not hit the papers yet. But when they met, Phillips read a chapter out of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And Phillips asked Colson, do you want to pray? And Colson said no. And then Colson went back to his car. He says he broke down in tears and he cried out in desperation for God to save him. And he was converted. He came to know Jesus Christ and the Lord would use him in remarkable ways. He's going to be with the Lord now. When he hit bottom, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. And that's the picture here. That's what this psalm is about. Exile was the bottom for the Israelite. And he cried out, and the Lord heard him. He brought them out, verse 14, out of darkness, out of the shadow of death, he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze, and he cuts into the bars of iron. The Lord's specialty is delivering prisoners, of breaking chains, of cutting the bars, and we could just give testimony to, the, to this all around our church, how we've experienced what Jesus said he came to do in Luke chapter 4 to, to set the captives free, to bring to liberty those who are enslaved. I thought about our dear brother, church planner Ben Polka, who um, was uh, living with two other guys up in Buffalo. Can anything good come out of Buffalo except for some wings? Um, and he's selling drugs, selling drugs in the house, and gets held at gunpoint one night, totally freaks him out. They don't know what to do, because they don't have any biblical categories, so they go to Blockbuster Video. <laughs> Kids, that's where we used to go and get, get movies, we'd go Blockbuster, we'd ride our, our horse over there and, and check out uh, VHS's. And they, they, of all things, they got the Left Behind series which can anything good come out of the left behind series. <laughs> well, this got these guys thinking then they start attending a, a church service and, and Ben becomes a Christian. And then the other two buddies become Christians and they start hosting a Bible study in the former drug house. Uh, and they had no, no room for uh, all the people that were in their, their little house. It's that kind of transformation that God does. And even, even if you don't have something, what we would call remarkable testimony today, you need to realize, theologically you do, Amen. that being dead in sin, but being made alive together with Christ is a miracle. And if we've experienced the steadfast love of God in salvation, we should give Him thanks. Amen. The Lord delivers the sick. That's picture number three. Picture number three. He says in verse 17, Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Now here, sickness is tied to, to sin, and there is a relationship many times, not always. Um, sickness in one way or the other is always tied to sin because we live in a fallen world. But here, there's a direct relationship between their sinful ways and their afflictions. They were so sick, the psalmist says, they loathed any kind of food. They didn't want to eat. And they drew near to the gates of death. And by now we know... You know, what this psalm is teaching us. What did they do? They cried out to the Lord, and He delivered them. So two back-to-back pictures of people who are in trouble because of their sin. And do, do you think because of your sin, you can't get out of that mess? Hear this psalm. The Lord delivered them when they cried. He sent out His Word, verse 20, and healed them. I love this. Notice the healing power of the word when we are wounded when we are hurt when we have rebelled what is it that we need we need god's word if your word had not been my delight i would have perished in my affliction my soul melts away for sorrow strengthen me according to your word His word healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. If he has healed you, if he has redeemed you, then you sing his praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Amen. Fourthly, the Lord delivers them from the storm. Here's a wonderful picture. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. If you've ever been out on the ocean, you know something of this. Just the majestic nature of seas and bodies of water with all of the fish and with all of the the depths of the sea. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind. So here you see God's sovereignty over creation. He commanded the wind. Think about the story of Jonah, how the Lord is commanding the sea creatures and the the waters. uh, Which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. He says in verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end. (laughs) This would... Surely it caused all of us to be tempted to cuss like a sailor, to to be in one of these storms where it's going up and down and, and you're out in the middle of nothing. It's a picture of absolute danger. It's a, it's a frightening picture. And it brings them to their wit's end. And sometimes that's what the Lord does. He brings us to our wit's end so we might turn to Him. And you get it, verse 28, what did they do? What did they do in this crisis? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress, and like Jesus, he made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Do you remember that in Mark chapter 4? Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in, in the middle of the crisis. Storm comes up. And they're like, what are you doing, man? And he just gets up and says, be still. And those disciples are in awe. They're not fist bumping Jesus, you know. Rabbi be killing it. <laughs> there are no high fives. They say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? They stand in awe of Jesus. And if you never stood in awe of Jesus, you don't know Jesus. Mm, that's good. And this is why we need the Bible to show us who he is. Whatever we are going through today, he can say, be quiet. Calm down. I thought of the song, It Is Well With My Soul, all the way through this, and there's a great story about Horatio Spafford, who wrote that hymn. He's, he was a, a very um, successful attorney, actually, in Chicago. and He was the father of four daughters, an active member of his church, a loyal friend and supporter of the, the evangelist D.L. Moody. Then a series of calamities began starting with the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which wiped out his family's uh, extensive real estate investments. When Moody uh, and his music associate, Ira Sankey, left for Great Britain for an evangelistic campaign, Spafford decided to lift the spirits of his family by taking them also with him to Europe. He planned to assist Moody and uh, and uh, Sankey in the meetings there. But in November of 1873, Spafford was detained by urgent business at home, so he sends his wife and his daughters on the scheduled trip across uh, the ocean. And halfway across the Atlantic, the ship sank. It was struck by an English vessel. It sank in 12 minutes and all four of Spafford's daughters died. 226 people drowned. His wife was spared. Spafford stood an hour after hours. He got on a ship to go be with his wife, stood on the deck, looking at the the place once he finally arrived where his daughters had drowned. Then when he's pondering this and thinking about this, he takes out a pen and he writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well It is well with my soul. God is able to give us peace that transcends all human understanding in Christ Jesus. He's able to say, be still. And so he says in verse 29, or verse 30 rather, then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So four pictures, they cried, he delivered. Here's a brief summary of what we've just looked at. Number one, call to the Lord no matter what kind of trouble you're in. Don't think it's too small today to call out to him. Don't think he won't listen. We read in 1 Peter, Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Secondly, call to the Lord no matter why you're in trouble. You may have no idea why you're in trouble. You may be in trouble because of bad mistakes, because of sin. You may be in trouble because someone harmed you. You may be in trouble because of this pandemic. Call to the Lord no matter what kind of trouble you're in, no matter why you're in trouble. And thirdly, remember to give thanks. The psalmist is concerned that the people not forget to give thanks to God for his steadfast love. And that is one of the great sins that we read about in the Old Testament over and over again is the failure to remember, the failure to appreciate the grace and mercy of God. And we have a better salvation than deliverance from exile. We have a better salvation than being delivered from Egypt. We have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So let us give thanks. Final section here, verses 33 to 42, quickly. The sovereign Lord, is, uh, his actions are being extolled here. He says he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. That's a picture of judgment. Sovereign Lord judges. The ruining of land was a sign of judgment in various places like 1 Kings 17. He can do that. Verse, uh, He says a fruitful land is a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So there you see the consequence of that evil is, is the turning of rivers into a desert. But the Lord can also restore. He can judge in verse 33 and 34, but he can restore verses 35 to 38. The scene is now reversed. It says, he turns a desert into pools of water, (laughs) a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. They establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. And this picture of a reversal of God uh, restoring the fortunes of those who are in need is extended in verses 39 to 42, as you see how the sovereign Lord judges princes and exalts the poor. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. Think of the prayer of Hannah, which talks about this, which is then echoed in the the Magnificat uh, by Mary, how the Lord reverses uh, situations. He changes things in a moment. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. So never forget that God is the God of great reversals. He is the God who can change things in a moment. And we should never forget the ultimate gospel reversal. We know the grace of the Lord Jesus, Paul says, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. We had nothing spiritually, now we have everything spiritually. We were impoverished and now we've been given infinite riches in Jesus Christ. Well, this awesome psalm ends in verse 43 with this appeal to gain wisdom. He says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, that's a great conclusion. And what this is basically saying is, by meditating on God's ways and God's works, you grow in wisdom. By meditating on God's ways and God's works, you grow in God's wisdom. Keep thinking about God's chesed, God's steadfast love. Summarize it. The wise person knows that God judges sin and restores the repentant. The wise person knows that God delivers helpless people who cry out to him. The wise person knows that the Lord has the power to break prison doors and calm raging waters. The wise person knows that the Lord can reverse one's fortunes. The wise person knows that the wicked will not ultimately prosper. The wise person knows to walk humbly with God and trust in His grace. And where do we begin to look for wisdom? We look to the Word of God, yes. We look to Jesus Christ, the one who is the embodiment of wisdom. To gain wisdom, you need to know a person You need to know Jesus Christ. You need to draw near to him and walk with him. Jesus' faithful love was on high definition at the cross as he took our punishment. God's hesed can be seen in a person. Jesus Christ is the steadfast love of the Lord. His mercies are new every day. There is more mercy in Jesus Christ than sin in us today and what is Jesus doing he's gathering a people for himself from the four corners a redeemed people who will say so who will give him praise and one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas it won't be covered with a virus it will be covered with a victory and that's our hope today our aim today our longing today is not simply to have things restored to normal but to have Christ come and restore all things. Not simply for our country to reopen, but to have the heavens opened and have Jesus Christ come. And he will. And we will experience the ultimate deliverance that this psalm is pointing us to. For we cry today, Maranatha. And Jesus Christ will deliver us from all our distress. That is the ultimate cry. That is the ultimate deliverance. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your promises. Your promises are well tried, therefore your servants love them. I pray that in the midst of our our confusion, in the midst of our challenged uh, situation, we would never lose heart we would recognize that you will never run out of mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray that we would be quick to cry out to you in our troubles, trusting that you're able to provide, you're able to deliver, you're able to restore. May we be wise in these ways. Now we want to say something. The redeemed of the Lord should say so. So we want to sing to you now. Lord Jesus Christ, for your great salvation, for freeing us, for restoring us, for bringing home wanderers, for healing us, for giving us the promise of your glorious return and the restoration of all things, hear our praise from the bottom of our hearts today. In Jesus' good name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.